Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. What's up, y'all? It's Jasmine with the New Black Collective, and you are now tuning into Stories of the Streets. Stories of the Streets is affiliated with the New Black Collective, Black Sync, Change Waco, and powered by Rogue Media Network. Today, we have Miss Kelly Palmer. Want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, Jasmine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just really honored to be in conversation with you after watching the work that you and Davey are and your respective organizations have been engaged in the past few years. Glad to have you. So um, we brought Kelly on um, for more than one reason um, to talk about kind of her role in city council and also some conversations that we've had with her um, in regards to um, community in Waco um, on behalf of our nonprofits and our respective organizations. And also to talk about our new police chief as well. Yeah. So I guess my first question is, what is your role in city council? Yeah, so I was elected in November to serve as the um, interim district for city councilwoman. And then the election period was open last month and nobody ran against me. So I will now be in the seat uh, for my first full term starting in May. So in Waco, we have uh, five districts and then we have a mayor that's elected at large. And my district is some of downtown and then North Waco. I like to refer to it as the most diverse district in uh, the city of Waco. So we have about 25,000 people and I am an advocate and representative of our collective voices. So as a social worker, I love this and it feels like a really natural role because I'm used to believing that um, each person is the expert of their own experience and nobody needs somebody else to be a voice for them. They just need a seat at the table. And so that's how I see myself utilizing this role is bringing up uh, folding chairs like Shirley Chisholm says to the table to make sure everybody can advocate for themselves and feel empowered to really take uh, the steps needed to make change. So that way we all live in a community we're proud of and everybody has access to the resources that they need to thrive. That was a good uh, rundown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Okay, so um, I guess the question um, I can ask as a community member, I'm going to pretend I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> Perfect. As a community member, how, I know you just explained a lot, but in layman's terms, um, I'm a community member. I have 
a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I go about getting that concern, recognizing her by the city council? So there are a couple of different ways to do this, just based off of each community member's um, preference. So all of us have standardized email addresses. So it's C as in city, C council, and then whatever your district number is. So my email would be C council, and then the number four at wacotx.gov, or you can do Waco mayor at wacotx.gov. So email is a quick way to Uh, connect with your city council member and just shoot them a few lines saying, hi, I live in your district. I have a concern or an idea or um, I see a need for an extra street light or I see that a mattress has been dumped in my alley or we've seen an increase in stray dogs or I have an idea about who I want our new health director to be. Um, And then the mayor or city council member will respond to you. We're also all on social media. So most of us have Facebook pages or Instagram pages and are super responsive that way. Um, And then for the folks that are more um, physical, Physically based, you can always write a letter and send it to City Hall and we'll get it that way. So a wide variety of ways to reach out to us. But uh, you are our bosses as city council and city manager. We um, are responsible to you and want to be responsive to you. I know I try to respond to all of my constituents within two to three days, whether that is a DM on Instagram or a Facebook message or an email or a call, because I want people to know that their voice matters and I'm here to listen to them and serve them. And I know that's true of the rest of my colleagues on council too. So let's go a little bit more in depth about what community members are able to ask of city council members. Yeah, so I think that's an important question because so many of us aren't really educated on how to engage with local governance. When we think about engaging in politics, we often really think about our state senators or the president, and yet those have hundreds of thousands or millions of people they're responsive to, whereas city council, we live in a fairly small community, so you can know who each of your council members are, and um, it's way easier to impact change on the local level than the national level. So things that you might want to reach out to city council about is if you are seeing a lot of trash or illegal dumping in district four, we have 64% of the city's alleys, which is wild. And we know that alleys are a site of illegal dumping, whether that is a toilet or a mattress or just uh, trash. You can call your city council member if um, you are seeing a rise in crime um, or If you are seeing something um, along police lines, really anything related to living in the city of Waco falls under city council jurisdiction. So if you have an idea for something that you want to see in one of the rec centers, I have Dewey Rec Center in North Waco, um, you can share that. Or if you have a concern about an elected official, whether that's a council member. And then every two weeks, so we meet on the first and the third Tuesday of every month, and we have our agendas posted online on the city of Waco website. But if you are passionate about something and that's going before the council, you can email your council members and say, I really want you to vote yes on this, or I really want you to vote no on this because X, Y, Z. So short-term rentals are a big issue right now. If you believe that short-term rentals are effective and are going to build community, email your council members and say that. Or if you think, no, I think this might add to gentrification and push people out, we're able to better advocate for you. And we can say, I talked to Davior and he said this, or I talked to Jasmine and she said this. Um, And you can be representing either your specific church or your organization or your neighborhood. And then there's power behind that, like collective voice. Absolutely. 
And so this uh, goes into my next question. How does the city council, outside of working with just a citizen, how can the city council work with different organizations and um, making sure that those voices are heard? Um, I know that we all had a conversation a few months ago about community policing, but what does um, community um, involvement look like as far in the spirit of city council connecting with the people that are helping to give to said communities? What does that look like for y'all? I think it can look a variety of ways, but I would say definitely for me as a social worker, I really value people like the two of you that are really connected with a large group of people that are a trusted source of information. And so whether that's hosting a town hall and bringing together leaders like we had for our community policing listening session, um, or also along community policing lines, when there was the process to try to find the new police chief, there were a variety of community stakeholders that were brought on to be a part of the interviews. Um, I think another really helpful way for community groups to get involved is by attending neighborhood association meetings. So Y'all have worked uh, with Black Scent, sorry, not with Black Scent, with, through New Black Collective with Indian Spring. You could attend um, a neighborhood association meeting and speak on behalf of the youth that you're serving or even invite them to be there because our sixth and seventh and eighth graders are community members just as much as the three of us are. And the decisions we're making now will affect them for the rest of their time in Waco. Uh, so that feels like another way to bring community leaders in and listen to them. And then also just engaging on social media. I follow both of y'all on social media yes. and your respective organizations. And that is a way for you to know what's going on with me on council and for me to know what's going on with you. So we have this open door. And if something is going on, I can quickly, we can quickly reach out to one another to put it on each other's radars. Um, I'm trying to think, y'all might have touched on this already, but um, kind of. Did y'all talk about motivations at all? Kind of what motivated you to, yeah. Mm. So what motivated you to kind of want to step into city council and take, you know, your position and stuff like that? So I've been in Waco for eight years and Waco has drastically changed in the last eight years. Uh, I moved here from Boston and my dad joked like, oh, don't go join a cult in Waco. <laughs> like Waco is wacko. <laughs> like cool dad, awesome. Um, but that was the national theory you know that's what people knew that was our reputation in 2013 yeah. when I moved here and now Waco is just known for so much more and there is beauty and opportunity that's come with that growth and there's also been further gentrification and people have been pushed out and those who are already marginalized have been further marginalized and made more vulnerable and those who are thriving are thriving more and so when I looked at our current council makeup, at the time it was um, five men in business or law. And as a social worker and as an educator, I saw that uh, council member Bearfield was the only woman on the council. And I'm like, it is so crucial that women's voices are being heard in the seats um, of the seats and the tables of power. But also I think we need the perspective of a social worker on council, someone who is trained to look at how systemic oppression and inequity plays out at the local level and advocate for our most marginalized neighbors. So I um, am a Christian. And one of the things that I tell my students often is uh, the Christian perspective on voting is voting for your most voting in the best interest of your most marginalized neighbor. And since 2016, I think a lot of us have been super tuned into politics. And I spent a lot of time emailing Cruz and Cornyn and often don't feel heard by them. And so I was like, well, if if I can't make a, a difference at the national or the state level, I want to try to make a difference at the local level. 
and I saw um, at so I'm a social worker in town and at every community meeting I've been in for the last eight years, we're always talking about housing and how there's not enough affordable housing. There's not enough housing for our youth experiencing homelessness or trafficking survivors. And we spend less than 1% of our city's $500 million budget on housing. Um, we spend less on housing than on any other budget category. And like housing is a basic need. We look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's on that bottom part of the pyramid. And so as a social worker, that feels like one area that I can make a difference of. We have to, we have to have our residents in safe quality housing. If we want to see thriving families, if we want to see our students succeed, if we want to have a robust community. That makes perfect sense. Thank you you know, for opening up more about that. Yeah. I guess we can get into our conversations. Um, <laughs> well, the conversation that we had um, before we got, our new police chief, um, kind of backstory. We were all on a Zoom call. Uh, I can't even name everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of uh, community leaders in a black community. And we just kind of spoke to Kelly um, about some of our concerns, rightfully so. <laughs> um, I know for me, so my perspective, I felt like it got a little heated, but it needed to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was like, oh, I called Clavis, and I was like, oh, poor Kelly. I feel like they just ripped her apart. <laughs> and he was like, she's fine. I was like, they just, I said, I don't know. I said, and their responses, and I was like, it was, they were so serious, but I was still trying not to laugh because they were, like, triggered. But I think that we needed to be because yeah. if we weren't, I feel like we would have censored our responses a lot and we wouldn't have police chief that we have now we watered down the conversation yeah but it was very it was we just can't afford to do that with a conversation (laughs) yeah about it was very police brutality very very upfront, and so i'm glad that it was um shout out to miss shirley langston and pastor marvin um so i think that they were the more brutally honest ones but they also were the older, the older ones of everybody that were on the uh, call. So I appreciate that, you know, us being millennials, we're like, okay, we're chilling. Like, we're going to say we have to say, but they were like, no, this is what it is and this is what it needs to be. Um, I know for me, one of the things that kind of triggered me was the term community policing. And for, for a lot of different reasons, Cause when I think of policing, um, it just sounds what it is to me. <laughs> like it sounds like I'm gonna be bothered, or people that I know are gonna be bothered. And so I know I keep repeating. Can y'all try to change the term? <laughs> like, can y'all <laughs> make a new phrase? Because it bothered me. Because I was, I grew, I've grown up in East Waco, um, born and raised. I left when I was an adult, but. My family is still there. So when I think of community policing, I think of the people that I love being taunted and followed like they've always been. There's been many times that we walk across because, I mean, it's our, that's our stumping ground. So we would be walking across the bridge or going back across the tracks because East Waco is this, it's like a paradise to us. And so we have two sides. We have across the bridge, then we have across the tracks. We used to walk everywhere. 
And there would be times that we were walking as children. And, of course, we're walking in groups of about five of us for safety because you can't leave the house without somebody with you oh. at my grandmother's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we would be walking to either the Y or to school sometimes or wherever we, the library, wherever we were walking or going to see our friends. And the police would follow us sometimes. So... I'm thinking community police, and I'm like, oh, crap, they're about to start this again. Because it hasn't been like that in a few years. But that's what I think about. It's like, okay, they're about to start following us because they weren't asking us, you know, y'all, okay, they were asking us, where are you going? And so when I think of community police, and I'm always like, okay, that's not a good sign. And it's kind of scary because it's like, well, there's not really, East Waco is nothing like it used to be. Like, there's still things that are happening, of course, but I feel like the East Waco that I grew up in is not the East Waco that it is now. And a lot of it has to do with gentrification. And that's something that we've talked about as well. It looks so different to us. And it doesn't feel like home anymore. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I think that I recommend maybe um, community patrolling. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know because I feel like what they should do is you know patrol and make sure the community is safe not drive around bothering people um so yeah i don't really oh divya kind of had the same story about you know being followed in woodway and things like that so i think it was just a trigger for a lot of us when we when you were like well community police and we were like no (laughs) (laughs) it's just i feel like it just has to whatever form it takes it has to look different from what you know, people are used to. Like, I've seen a lot of people react well to, like, videos of, um, like, cops going and playing basketball with people and stuff like that. And you you see that and you think, okay, well, if that dude dunks on him, the cop might get up and be, like, you know, like, kind of rash and kind of just, like, you know, quick to just, like, be violent or you technically assaulted me because you dunked on me and I <laughs> fell. But, um, yeah, I, I, just, I think we just want to, I think people will be more safer with just knowing cops are around through a, hey, I'm officer, you know, so-and-so, I'll be down the street here, you know, don't freak out, you know, I'm just like watching out for these people instead of, you know, just this constant kind of shadow as if they're just there to kind of just make something out of nothing. Cause I feel like that's what a lot of people are used to is, you know, something just real small being blown into, you know, so, or... And then sometimes I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that everybody's always innocent. There are people who could be doing something wrong and do not know. But there's a difference than someone who's actively like trying to commit a crime and someone who's just I don't know has like I don't know like weed in their backpack or something like that. You know, yeah. that's different yeah. than than someone who's like carrying a gun. You know, going to a park. You know, planning to shoot somebody. Yeah. So. Well, she said, I definitely do feel like I definitely do agree with. Um, that was a that was a great Zoom call. Thank you again for, you know, just you know introducing yourself that way. And hey, I want to you know get everybody together and talk these issues out. Um, but 
Yeah, I feel like because it, it's it's hard to think of a new term. You know, how do you like? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you come up with a new term for community policing? How do you describe you know these people who are put in positions to protect and serve? You know, just doing their job, and then what does it look like when they are just kind of chilling and waiting for something to happen and then intervene? And what does it look like when they are kind of, you know, harassing people and something? So I think just changing up just what it looks like is what's really most important to not only us, but like everybody. Is yeah. if you just change, if we, if we can just change the image as, you know, a community. And that'd be dope for everybody to see. You know, right. like, oh, yeah, <laughs> the, the cult people, you know, the, the Baylor yes. people yes. coming up with a new way to like showcase policing. Like, that'd be, that'd be great. And that's, that's what my hope is with. Uh, now having Chief Victorian, who we just swore in earlier this week, and it was amazing, is something she I got to listen in on one of her interviews, and she talked so much about wanting to know all the names of her law enforcement officers by name and also um, know like our local NAACP leadership and the leadership of various neighborhood associations and groups. And I hope that we'll be able to have more listening sessions like the call that I put together that both of y'all were on where the community can say, this is what we want and this is what we need. And I think uh, to both of your point, language matters so much. I mean, just looking at all of the rise of anti-Asian racism and violence we've seen in the past couple of weeks, that came out of language that was derogatory. And so maybe part of this conversation is what is language that isn't triggering, that doesn't have a history that we associate to being monitored in our own neighborhoods, but really is benefiting our sense of safety and I think it will be important that neighbors and residents get a piece of saying, this is what I want and this is what I need. And what are the channels of accountability when I feel like I am being profiled for any reason? And how can I report that? And how can we address that? I think that's how it will go a long way in building a sense of trust, um, which feels absolutely critical to this conversation is we need law enforcement tr to trust our communities, but we really need our communities to trust law enforcement. And that's going to be trust that is built over time by action after action after action. Absolutely. Um, we're down to our last question. You want to? I was, I was, see, I thought you were going to have one. Um, I'm like, I was sitting there <laughs> while, you, while you were talking, I was sticking in my head because um, I remember when you were running, um, I remember seeing that you like, Oh, you're like kind of like the lead, like the lead in like a human trafficking, like mm -hmm. um kind of division. Could you go into that a little bit more? Because I know that I know that probably had you said you're a social worker and stuff like that. So I know that kind of also influenced your decision to kind of get in and help out. And um, I don't know. That's something like I I hear about it from time to time. Like I've heard friends, you know, I've seen like a a full Facebook post, and it's like a friend. Um, she and some of her friends were out. And they had like this full description of a car that was like following them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I know it is like present, but it isn't just as talked about yeah. as people, you know, might think. So I was like, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So most of my, so I'm 29, most of my academic and professional career has been in the anti-trafficking space. Um, so most recently I was the anti-trafficking director for communities and schools, and I was managing a $1.3 million federal grant. And it was between the CIS and the Advocacy Center and Unbound and McLennan County Sheriff's Office. And we were looking at trafficking in the heart of Texas region. So I would see all the numbers and the birth dates and the names of all of these men, women, and children in our communities that were being trafficked. And it was really heartbreaking to just, I love birthdays and just seeing other people's birthdays was like, wow, that's four days 
you know, after my little brother's birthday or that's close to my mom's birthday. Um, and there are people in our, in our community that are 14 years old being trafficked. And there are people in our community that are 65 being trafficked. Uh, and we have both labor trafficking, uh, through some of our restaurants, uh, where people are being held against their will and forced to work for either no pay or minimal pay and don't have workforce, um, protections or working in construction. And then also, um, men, women, and children who are essentially being raped for profit through forced prostitution. So some of the things we know, um, is that a lot of human trafficking is through grooming. So obviously middle and high school boys and girls are often really insecure and just want to feel seen and loved and noticed. So we see our youth being groomed on social media platforms where someone will start to meet those relational needs of feeling safe or feeling beautiful. And then there's trust built up and then someone's being asked to go meet up at a park or at a restaurant or, um, at a storefront. And then, um, Potentially they're being trafficked and still going home every night. So some signs to look for are when youth all of a sudden have a lot of like new money or new clothes or, um, or are all of a sudden really dejected or are act, acting out in sexualized ways. Those could be indicators that something is going wrong. Um, but yeah, it's definitely happening locally because of where we are on I-35. We're in the middle of like the Texas triangle between a couple of big cities. Um, so people are being trafficked in and out of uh, McLennan County and Waco. So um, the Heart of Texas Human Trafficking Coalition has a website and they offer resources and things to look for. Um, so that's a great resource for either of y'all or for your respective organizations. And Unbound is a lot of trainings for schools and for hospitals and all sorts of uh, entities of knowing this is what human trafficking could look like in the emergency room versus in like the middle school math classroom. Um, so it's, it's definitely dark work, but uh, it's important that we take care of our most vulnerable right. residents. Yeah, we just... Um did a collaboration with the Advocacy Center for Women Women's History Month. Okay. And so um, they just kind of featured the founders of the New Black Collective, but I also told them if there's any way that we can work together on programs or if we need to come in and speak to the girls, yeah. like anything, um, let us know because that that's kind of happened to me before. Um, you'll be in the store. They're following you, blocking your car in, like recording you. It's really i and they're very bold so i can imagine how a child feels i'm very vocal about leave me alone yeah <laughs> i told one guy i would run you over <laughs> my car yeah you need to move yeah <laughs> and if you're like you're so unsuspecting of these things and you're just wanting to get gas or you just want to get food at the store and it happens then and nobody you know a lot of people don't see it coming and you're blindsided so i I've always felt, you know, that that is something that needs to be talked about more. So I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't have even thought about that, to be honest. But most definitely, like, whatever we can do to bring awareness to that as well, then we are more than willing to assist in yeah. the area as well. I'd say the work that both of y'all are engaged in helps prevent human trafficking in our communities. When people feel like they have a sense of purpose, when people feel like they're being mentored or supported, um, they're so much less likely to then be groomed by someone with ill intent. And so the mentorship y'all are doing, the modeling that you're doing, if you have a future, um, your voice matters, we care about you, helps make our community um, a hostile place for trafficking. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Um, can you tell uh, tell us the email or the ways that you're able to be contacted again? Yeah. So on both Instagram and Facebook, it's at Kelly for Waco, K-E-L-L-Y-F-O-R-W-A-C-O. And then my email address through the city is um, C Council, so two C's, for at WacoTX.gov. Awesome. Thank you again. You know, we're coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, as always, Stories of the Streets is sponsored by Change Waco, the new Black Collective in Blackcent, and sponsored by Rogue Media. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, you know, anywhere you can find podcasts. Um, and you can reach us at Stories of the Streets at gmail.com, T H A at gmail.com, T H A streets at gmail.com instead of you know, T-H-E. And also follow us on social media. We are available on Facebook and Instagram as Stories of the Streets. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.